occult crimes, paranormal investigations, urban legends, and strange happenings. Welcome to Myths, Magic, and Murder. Hey, welcome back to Myths, Magic, and Murder. This is episode 38. I'm Abby. And I'm Laryngitis Kate. What? My voice sounds really rough. Oh, I was really excited for you to say I'm Kate because I said 38. <laughs> oh, we're not doing it again. Okay, fine. We'll be your ghostesses on this baking hot, boiling, sun-scorched earth day. We're coming to you live from our oven house. <laughs> Here we are, the chamber. Where we can't open any windows or have the fan on in case you hear the background noise. Yeah, how dare we be hot people too. <laughs> it's a bit sweaty. Sorry we're gone for a week. Yeah, we just don't love you enough. Oh, don't say that. We're back now. and We're ready for some spooky action. Talking about some true crime today. What are you talking about, Kate? I'm talking about Jack the Ripper. That's exciting. That's a big one. What are you talking about? I'm talking about uh, the deadly dentist. Who? I went to the dentist this morning. I'm glad we talked about that after you did that and not before you did that. Me too. My, my dentist is not deadly. She is lovely. Shout out to Kate's dentist. Amy, holla. <laughs> Are you a fan, Amy? <laughs> Probably not. She's a fan of making me suffer, that's for sure. Is there anything else we should cover before we get into the story? Oh, there was a story that I was going to tell you about, actually, at the beginning of last episode, but then we ended up doing a mini-sode. So, let me just find this for you. Basically, uh, my friend Alicia sent in a link, and it's basically... A cannibal restaurant. Any thoughts? Wait, is like the restaurant cannibal themed or is it a restaurant for cannibals? It's a it's a restaurant for cannibals. What? Like for wait, they serve people? Yeah, so basically it's no one's sure if it's real, right? Because it's in LA and it's called uh Hollydale, I believe. And it's been open since twenty fifteen. Uh, it's called Cannibal Cravings at the Hollydale. And the Cannibal Cravings website reads, Established in 2015, the Hollydale is a purveyor of the finest human flesh, harvested fresh from the only from only the most attractive, willing donors. Skillfully and reverently prepared by world-class master chefs, our unique eatery is securely located deep beneath the abandoned Hollydale Lunatic Asylum in LA, California and is accessible via high-speed underground rail from the San Fernando Valley, Malibu, and Beverly Hills. We're not sponsored by the cannibal restaurant. (laughs) No. The menu consists of tongue, ribs, heart, salted brains, finger pie, Irish hammered head cheese made from whole skull beaten with a hammer, shoulder roasts served with batter brains, and more. I don't think that's real. Right? When you said donors, I was like, maybe. But then I, th- I don't think eating human flesh is legal. Doesn't it like, make you crazy? I don't think you can ethically have a human restaurant. Well, I don't even know if, if it makes you crazy consent. because I don't know if the people that are eating it were, shall we say, not of the normal population before they ate human How many flesh? cannibals are there in LA? Don't answer that. I don't want to know. Everyone in LA, which is, I think, the majority of our audience after Texas... Are you guys cannibals? Is this place legit? I don't think it is. Maybe it is. Apparently, right, people have have gone there. Like, the Prince of Wales. Prince Charles. What? And and, uh, Therese de Rothschild. Uh, As if. Okay, yeah, it's real. Apparently, I think Chrissy Teigen's gone. That's a random one. Like you mentioned, the Rothschild and the the royal family, and then also Chrissy Teigen. <laughs> I think uh, there are reports that like Meryl Streep has been. It's in L.A. So fair, yeah. But I don't know because obviously, like, what would confuse me about it is that you can't have like one set place where you're doing this illegal thing, right? Like you cannot be set up somewhere. No, especially if like people like Meryl Streep are going there. Everyone's going to know. Would they? You don't know what Meryl Streep does. They're all pe- they're I all people it. that like could pay enough for a double to go and do something while they go to this cannibal restaurant. Well, maybe it is. I wonder if it's real. <laughs> yeah. 
Now I'll, you know. I'll do some research into that in a bit. Thanks for that information. That's going to keep me puzzled for the next hour or so. <laughs> That's okay. I thought you might be interested. So yeah. Is Meryl Streep a cannibal? That's the clickbait title of this episode. <laughs> Emotional. <Meryl> <laughs> you will cry. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get into the story now. All right. So today I'm talking about Dr. Glennon Engelman, who is a sociopathic dentist and a violent hitman. So if you have fear of the dentist, you might want to brace yourself for this one. Get it? Oh, that was Brace awful. yourself. Oh. Oh. My sources are Murderpedia, Oxygen, Wikipedia, MonstersandCritics.com, and TheRitches.com. Actually, that's an orthodontist's job. Do I look like I'm filled with teeth knowledge? <laughs> you had braces. I didn't put them on myself. God, I hate you. So this is quite an open and shut case rather than a mystery, as I like to talk about, but I thought you might find it interesting since we've never covered a hitman before on the show. That we know of. That we know of. So Glennon was born into a middle-class household in Missouri in 1927. Sorry, what's his name? Glennon? Glennon. Right. Glenn just wasn't long enough. Glennon. <laughs> he was above average in school and he graduated from dentistry school in 1954. He joined the army but decided that he would look into school for dentistry instead. Not really sure why, but decided that he wanted to be a dentist all of a sudden. Shooting people's great and all, but have you seen teeth? Glennon knew that he wanted to kill. He took up hunting animals as a hobby to try and satisfy this, and he went on many hunting trips and kept animal parts as trophies. He even tried hunting large and exotic animals, and while he enjoyed this hobby, it wasn't enough to satisfy his desire for murder. After Glenn graduated, he practiced as a dentist in his hometown. He would often give back to the community by performing free dental care for some of his poorer citizens. He was thought to be an extremely respectable and decent member of society. And because he'd been serving in the army as well, he was a really liked guy. Mm. At some point, he married a woman named Edna Ruth. Three years after the couple divorced, she remarried a man named James Stanley Bullock in 1958. That's Ed a solid name. James Stanley Bullock, it is, isn't it? That's a strong man's name. Okay. <laughs> Weird passing comment, Kate. <laughs> Edna and Glennon were married for three years, but they were on very good terms when they divorced. Also in 1958, after Glennon had been working for a dentist for four years, James Stanley Bullock was shot dead near the St. Louis Art Museum. James and Glennon's ex-wife Edna were only married for five and a half months, and Edna claimed $64,000, oh which my... would be around $580,000 in 2020. So obviously this is a bit fishy, since they'd only been married for a few months, mm. so investigators were suspicious of the whole thing. They questioned Glennon since he was once married to Edna and they were still so close. But he had a pretty strong alibi. Also, being a local respected dentist, I imagine people thought he couldn't possibly have caused any harm. Yeah. Besides, like, a root canal. Do dentists have to take a Hippocratic Oath as well? I don't think so. Why would they? Because it's still making people better. Maybe they do. I'm going to look it up quickly. Carry on. Okay. And then they questioned Edna, who had a wild reputation in the local area for causing scenes in local bars. The police were given a hard time for verbally attacking Edna, and they, they just eventually left her alone because of it. It was later confirmed that Edna and Glennon planned to have Edna marry and kill a wealthy man so they could share the profits of his life insurance. My god. Oh. They do take the Hippocratic Oath. It's do no intentional harm to patients. And, like, have sympathy and understanding throughout the care of a patient. But, yeah. They Fair do. enough. After this, Glennon lay low for a few years, and he purchased a drag strip. He wanted to start up his own drag racing business, and he told a man called Eric Frey that he would be part of the business, and they could be partners in it together. What an obscure business idea. He was into racing, I guess. Glennon then convinced his ex-girlfriend, a different ex, to marry and take out life insurance on Eric, so oh he could God. put the money that they claimed together into his business. And she did this. How many exes does this guy have? I don't know. Too many. In 1963, as the two were hanging out at the drag strip, Glennon hit Eric with a rock to knock him down before pushing him into a well. And then he threw lit sticks of dynamite into the well with Eric. Oh my God. Really intense. Obviously highly thought out and like he was determined to do it, but also like it was so elaborate that I kind of imagine that he enjoyed it somewhat. Well yeah, probably. He then split the money with Eric's wife, 
so his ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. and put the money into the drag racing business, which ultimately failed. Glennon also had a dental assistant named Carmen Miranda, who had known him since childhood. That's a cool name as well. Everyone in the story has a great name, right? Apart from Glennon. Glennon convinced Carmen to marry a man named Peter Halm, so they could kill him and collect his life insurance. Which she did. Oh my god, why is everyone so up for this? I don't know. Yes, money. Screw that guy. Glennon shot Peter in the head, and Carmen received $75,000 life insurance. How much is that in now money? I think this was the only thing that I didn't convert. (laughs) I don't know. She gave 10000 of it to Glennon. Just one, le- one year later, Glennon committed his biggest murder yet. Arthur and Vinita Guswell owned a very large and expensive oil business. They had an adult son called uh, Ronald, who was the sole heir to the business. And Glennon murdered Arthur and Vinita in their farmhouse in Illinois. Arthur was shot and Vinita was beaten to death. Oof. That's some internalized hatred of women. After waiting 17 months and making sure their son had inherited everything from the oil business, Glennon murdered Ronald on behalf of his wife, Barbara, who'd taken out a large life insurance cover on Ronald. So then Barbara collected $340,000, which now would be around $1.5 million after Ronald died. This was obviously an elaborate scheme from both Barbara and Glennon in order to claim all of the oil money. But Barbara was quickly caught and convicted for her husband's murder, although she wasn't found guilty of the death of his parents. She Uh, was sentenced to 50 years in prison. It says on some sources, but not all, that Glennon seduced and had an affair with Barbara when he convinced her to let him kill her husband. Probably right. He seduced everyone else in the town. Yeah, probably. Three years later, in 1980, Glennon committed committed his last murder. He owed a woman called Sophie Marie $14,000, around $45,000. She mysteriously died in a car bomb explosion on September 25th, and her son accused Glennon of the murder. Police had been suspicious of him for a while, and this kind of tipped him over the edge. Mm. Car bomb as well. Yeah. That's not an accident. No, also, like, I like that... I don't like, but I find it interesting that he picks... Such strange and different weapons every time. Like, he doesn't just... Well, they're all very um, big and loud and, like... Intense. Yeah, like, he threw dynamite at one guy. He car-bombed a lady. He shot people in the head. He's not, like, strangling them. Yeah, okay, he beat a woman to death, which I guess would be quieter in terms of, like, dynamite versus beating. But, like, they're such big noisy like i can get away with it because i've been doing this you know yeah he's a bit narcissistic yeah definitely his new wife also told the police that he was a killer glennon was thought to have a hypnotic sexual charm obviously which he used as a way of convincing women to do his dirty work and agreed to help him for financial gain i can't imagine how how someone would be someone would have that though like, I, I understand the concept of it. Obviously, lots of serial killers have that. But to be able to convince multiple women to be like, marry this man and then I'm going to kill him and we'll split the money. Because that's a long and tedious process if you don't care about the person that you're going to kill. I suppose, but it it would depend on what type of um person he was picking up as, like, a lover. You know, because if you're picking up someone that's already fairly well-to-do, has good sort of like strong values and morals and stuff you're not gonna get it but if you pick someone up that's like been homeless or you know is forced to do work that they don't particularly want to do or you know has no sort of moral compass i feel like it might be easier to convince them to do things because that way like this is the obstacle standing in the way of us being together and we can have money and you know yeah that makes sense especially since one of them was his assistant that he'd known since childhood exactly i imagine she she already had quite a good like relationship with him and as well as probably like in a cult where they do like sort of small tasks to get you there and then they get bigger and bigger and bigger it'll probably be something like that like a darren brown special yeah god that man is so clever (laughs) glennon was already given two life sentences after being found guilty of murder and he later confessed to killing Ronald and his parents, the oil owners, which gave him a total of 330 years in prison. 
While in prison, Glennon was identified as being a sociopath, which I'm sure you know all about. Well, here's the funny thing about sociopaths. There's actually no such thing. Oh, controversial. So a sociopath is someone that's been diagnosed with antisocial personality disorder, or ASPD. It's a mental health diagnosis from the DSM-5, which is the current one. For those that don't know, the DSM-5 is the Diagnostic and Statistic Manual of Mental Disorders. So it's basically just a play-by-play of every single mental disorder that we have categorised at this point. The behaviours of a patient that is about to be diagnosed with ASPD has to take at least three of the following seven criteria and they must be over 18. So one, don't respect social norms or laws. Two, lies, deceives others, uses them, etc. Three, doesn't make long-term plans. Four, aggressive or aggravated behaviour. Five, doesn't consider their own safety. Six, doesn't follow up on responsibility. Seven, doesn't feel guilt or remorse. So there isn't actually a sociopath or psychopath diagnosis. The two terms are used interchangeably. Some people think that psychopaths are more severe or it's nature rather than nurture, but there's actually very little scientific difference. That's interesting. I didn't know that. I thought there was like a main difference. No. The more you know. Yeah. Gordon Ankeny was the prosecutor who sent Glenn to prison and he said that the dentist didn't make enough money to make the killing worthwhile. It wasn't like he was doing it just for financial gain, although many think he did do it for that reason. But Gordon said that Glennon related homicidal intimacy with sexual intimacy, so he got almost aroused when he was killing, and he enjoyed it to that extent. Like He had a very macho image of himself. Yeah. His favourite part of the killing was the planning, deciding which weapon he would use and how he would commit the crime, which I guess is obvious from how diverse they all are. It seems very weird that you would say that he's not getting enough money to make it worthwhile because someone literally broke into my mom's car before because there was an empty packet of bags on the passenger seat, but like they thought it was full because like it's free. You don't have to work for it. I guess, but in this situation, there is a lot more work. It's not like you're breaking a window to get something. You have to convince someone to marry someone and then kill them. Yeah, but it obviously wasn't that hard for him. Yeah, I guess not. I think, you know, because he would have been getting on with day-to-day life. It wasn't like he was like, and then you'll have that conversation with him, and then this will happen, you know? He was just like, go on then, you go do that, and when you've done that, we'll talk. Fair enough. I guess they just kind of thought that maybe he just liked to cause people pain. Yeah. And that was his main reason. He really enjoyed the killing. I'm sure the money was part of it. It was probably a good 50-50, to be fair. Yeah, I mean, he obviously enjoyed the killing if he killed, like, animals and whatever. Yeah. There's a movie called The Dentist that's based on Glennon if you're interested in giving it a watch. And he eventually died in 1999 due to complications from diabetes. And before he died, people working in the prison thought he might be able to give dental treatment to the prisoners. But he was uh, a lousy dentist. After all of that. After all that. He was a shitty dentist. dentist. No. What have you got going for you, Glennon? He had no redeemable qualities. First, murderer. Second, crap dentist. (laughs) <laughs> awful tinder bio my god well that was the deadly dentist what do you think i think you've absolutely clickbaited me because none of these murders were to do with dentistry no i know i thought Ooh. it was gonna be like a doctor death type thing but it wasn't nope hitman and also a dentist on the side yeah that's just his 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 other job that's his job that makes everyone like him <laughs> yeah wow that was interesting i can't believe i've never heard of it Yeah, it was quite big, to be fair. I was trying to find what you described, like a dentist that kills his patients, because I thought that would be interesting. Mm. But I couldn't find one, but I did find this, and I thought we hadn't covered a hitman, so it might be interesting to kind of see how they work and what was said about them. Well, he's not really a hitman, though, is he? Well, a lot of the time, like... Because no one hired a hit out on them. He just killed them. I guess technically the wives did, but he probably suggested uh, Definitely it. Ronald's wife, from how you said it. Oh, Ronald's wife Barbara. for sure, yeah. Oh, but they might have had an affair and he might have convinced her. There's no proof. Yeah, I think you've clickbaited the title entirely. There's no hitman. <laughs> no dentist killings. Alright, it's dentists that kill their four people. <laughs> but they were intense. No, it is very interesting. And I think it's interesting hearing about someone that killed people in such 
varied ways and with such like a high risk you know because that's a lot of money he did not care yeah he just wanted to get it done like wow. no one would hear this explosion yeah right and be like what was that explosion sound the drag race who's got dynamite where's this extremely wealthy man gone why does glennon have so much money he's a lousy dentist <laughs> maybe people thought he was a good dentist them yeah, tips maybe do you tip a dentist? Maybe in America. <laughs> you tip everyone over there, don't you? True, yeah. We don't really. We, we, don't we do do that here, but not in the same way. I'm done with that. That was the deadly dentist, sort of. Not really deadly, but he did kill people dentist. <coughs> if you like this podcast for some reason, then you can go follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at MythsMagicPod. Kate's lost it. And if you want to support us on Patreon, then you can do that at patreon.com forward slash mythsmagicmurder. Thank you to everyone supporting us on there. You give some some pounds of slash dollars a month and you get some cool stuff in return. Yeah, you give as much or as little as you want. And we give you premium content. The best content. Woo! <laughs> also, if you want to send us any any stories, you can send them to us on our email mythsmagicmurder at gmail.com. You want me to do the rhyme, don't you? You're looking at me. Haunted happenings, terrifying tales, and spooky stories. Thank you. <laughs> All right, you ready? Yeah. Should I get straight into it? Get straight into it. <laughs> My sources are Wikipedia, History.com, BBC.co.uk, Met.police.uk, The Times, WebMD.com. WebMD was for the the sociopath explanation I gave. And Casebook. You mean you don't just know that? You're a fake psychologist. <laughs> Casebook.org. I didn't know all of the um. The criteria, off by heart, surprisingly. You fired. There's more than one mental disorder. So you just went on WebMD and pretended that you knew it? I knew the other bit. I'm, I'm only joking you. You're rude to me. I've seen that book you have. Yeah, I have the DSM-4 revised. I don't have enough money for the DSM-5. You want to subscribe to our Patreon so Kate can get the DSM-5? <laughs> so I can finally buy an updated mental disorder book. <laughs> Donate via PayPal, thanks. <laughs> So, as I'm presuming you all know, Jack the Ripper is an unidentified serial killer who was active from around 1888 till around 1891. Jack killed his victims around Whitechapel in London, although no one knows exactly how many victims there were. To give a bit of backstory, London's East End had experienced an influx of Irish immigrants and Jewish, Jewish refugees. This obviously meant that there were many more people living here, which resulted in overpopulation of the area and therefore poverty. Poverty led many people to resort to sex work, robbery and violence. Due to this, there were a large number of attacks against women around this time, which is why people aren't certain exactly how many people were Jack's victims, because the area was just awful. Okay. There are, however, five victims that are known as the canonical five. That people are pretty sure were all Jack's victims, but still, we, we don't know. We presume. These were Mary Ann Nichols, Annie Chapman, Elizabeth Stride, Catherine Eddowes, and Mary Jane Kelly. Mary Ann was a mother of five and was 43 when she was murdered. She was doing sex work in order to keep her children fed after her and her husband split. Then, on the 31st of August, 1888, at around 2.30am, her roommate, Emily Holland, saw her stood on a street corner, drunk. Then, at 3.40am, a carman found her body. He and another carman went over to the body, lowered her skirt to protect protect her modesty because it was hitched all the way up, and went and got a policeman. Her throat had been slit twice, which was immediately just what killed her, straight up. Then, after death, her abdomen had been mutilated. No one saw or heard anything. Annie Chapman, so the second one, was murdered on the 8th of September 1888, aged 47. She was a mother of three, two daughters and one son. Her son was born with a disability, then later in life one of her daughters died of meningitis, so Annie was a heavy drinker. She and her husband split. A few years later, he died due to alcohol-related reasons. She then went into sex work, and as I said, was murdered on the 8th of September. She was last seen talking with a man at 5.30am. The man was described as wearing a deerstalker hat, and dark overcoat. He had dark hair and was over 40 years old. For those of you that don't know what a deerstalker hat is, it's like 
what Sherlock Holmes wears. <laughs> I was going to say Sherlock. Yeah. We all wear them in England. <laughs> we do not. We don't wear tweed. And we don't all drink tea with our pinkies up. We all drink tea. You drink tea with your pinky up and I own tweed. so I, I drink like... everything with my pinky up. Fancy bitch. <laughs> Shortly before 6am, her body was found lying on the ground. So that was only half an hour after she was spotted talking to this guy. That's insane. Annie's throat had also been slit. And when the medical examiner went over these cuts after Mary's, he thought they might be the knife of either a doctor or a slaughterhouse worker. He came to this conclusion because the knife was sharp and long enough to cut Annie's throat to the bone. Also, she'd been disemboweled, with her small intestines being removed and placed over her right shoulder. As well as this, part of her uterus and bladder was missing. So, I mean, first of all, incredibly sad. Yeah. Especially because they're mothers. Not that that makes them more important, but people are relying on them. Mm -hmm. But also, why? Go to the extent of removing parts of the bladder. I don't. I don't know. It just seems like, you know, in horror movies where you've got a killer, sort of slasher movies, and they're like, "I want to see what it looks like on the inside," or like, "I want to see how it works." You know, like in the Perhaps. Jeffrey Dahmer thing that we watched. Oh, Jeffrey Dahmer is definitely. We should cover him sometime. It's yeah. Just very intense, isn't it? Yeah. Unlike the other girls, Elizabeth Stride had been a sex worker for many years before her murder. She grew up in Sweden and moved to London in 1866. No one's sure why, but she came over anyway. She got married, the marriage didn't work out, she gave birth to a stillborn baby, life was hard, she drank a lot, was a sex worker, and then on the 30th of September she was murdered. At around 12.35am, Elizabeth was seen conversing with a man who was carrying a package about 18 inches long. Then a dock worker said he overheard Elizabeth saying to the man, No, not tonight, some other night. Then her body was found at 1am, so 25 minutes later. Wow. Her throat had been slit in the same way as the other girls. Right, so it's definitely the same person then. Imagine how much guilt you would feel. Oh yeah, for sure. I guess you just wouldn't expect it though, you know what I mean? Like, why Why would you? Well yeah, exactly. Like, even if you know there's a serial killer going about, you wouldn't think like every woman talking to a man early in the morning was like a victim of a serial killer. Yeah, definitely. I imagine as well you would have, uh, I can't remember the term for it, but where you think like everybody else but not me. Mm, you know, I yeah. wouldn't be in the area where a serial killer is. Yeah. Even though you totally could have been. Yeah, definitely. Catherine Eddowes had a similar story to the other girls. She had three children, drank a lot, left her family, and started sex work to get by. She was seen talking to a man on the 30th of September around 1.35am. At the time, Catherine was 46 years old. The man she was talking to was a fair, moustached man wearing a red scarf, navy jacket, and a peaked cloth hat. Then, at 1.45, ten minutes later, her mutilated body was found. Ten minutes? Yeah. It makes you wonder what the purpose was. Of what? Of the killings. Because to do it that fast, what are you gaining? From like a... From a killer's perspective. Yeah, yeah. obviously, you know, we talk about a lot of people who, who kill or who do horrible things with bodies or whatever. And if they're going to enjoy it, surely they would want more time. I don't understand what would be the purpose of killing someone in 10 minutes, cutting them up and leaving. I suppose. But if you're in the middle of the street, it's probably a rush. Because all of these women were found just on the street. So, like, you know how some people have the kink where they like to have sex outside, right? And they might not have sex very long outside but it's just the rush of having sex outside where they could be caught. Maybe it was kind of... <clears throat> sorry. Maybe it was like, I'm going to kill someone and I'm not going to get caught because I'm that good, you know? And then they get a rush while they're doing it, obviously, because they're killing someone. Fair and they're enough. outside. It's more of like an adrenaline thing than it would be a... Yeah, because it doesn't seem like... Although it seems like whoever was doing it has a very internalized hatred towards women and a bad relationship with sex and you know 
seem thinks of themselves really highly and that kind of thing. It doesn't seem like each of these are hate towards that specific woman. No, they're all quite similar, aren't they? Yeah. It's not like he was stalking and found out their weakness or where they lived or anything. So yeah, 145, her body was found. It fit the MO of the Ripper. Her kidney was removed. So it just straight up wasn't there when they looked for it. So the surgeon who was performing the post-mortem believed whoever murdered her had a considerable knowledge of the position of abdominal organs, which fit with the previous belief that the knife would match a medical person or a slaughterhouse worker. As well as this, and slitting the throat, Catherine's nose, cheeks, eyelids, and ear had been cut. Okay, so it's definitely one of those two. Professions. Yeah. I highly dislike when true crime stories like this talk about whether it was a doctor. I'm already scared of going to the doctor. (laughs) Yeah, the doctor death thing is so crazy because you would think that people want to become doctors to help people. So why would they go around murdering people or like amputating or whatever? Some people, I imagine, become doctors because they want to cut people open. Yeah, I know, but you just don't think of it, do you? You think people become doctors for either the money or to help people. It's a scary concept for sure. That it is. The final one of the canonical five was Mary Jane Kelly. Oh, also, a thing that I had a problem with is... So there were two times that they were seen talking to men and they were described really well. But one of them had like dark hair and one of them was really fair with a moustache. And they weren't that long apart. Hmm. Which maybe it was more than one ripper. But like under the Elias, maybe they were like working together. Perhaps. Or perhaps it was the lighting. Could have been, I guess. They're both like quite early in the morning. Maybe. So yeah, the final one of the canonical five was Mary Jane Kelly. She was 25 and a widowed sex worker. On the 9th of November, her body was found uh, after 10.45am by the landlord's assistant who was coming for her rent. So Mary's door key had been misplaced. She just lost it a few months earlier. So... <laughs> to to get into her house, she just broke the window that was by the door so she could put her arm in and reach around and just unhook the door. It's pretty badass. Yeah. So she'd been doing that for a couple of months. So the wait, the window was already broken once, right? What? She broke it. Yeah, it's just the way you said it. So the window was broken so that every time she wanted to get in, she just would put her arm through. Yeah. But... The way I imagined, she didn't like, break it every. She got it day. fixed every night, and then in the morning she would <laughs> no. break it again. No, no, no. There was just a hole in her window, so she put a jacket in front of the hole to stop drafts and make it look more secure and everything. Because obviously, you don't want to be leaving your house in the late eighteen hundreds <laughs> with just a hole in the window. Yeah, it's a bad idea. In the middle of London, so the landlord's assistant knew this. And when Mary didn't answer the door, he let himself in. Unlike the other girls, her body was not outside in the street. It was on her own bed. She was thought to have died between three and nine hours before she was found. Elizabeth Prater Prater resided in the room above Mary and said that she was singing from midnight to 1am. And then... So she was singing at midnight, sorry. And then Elizabeth, the woman upstairs, had gone out and come back at 1am. And then by the time she went to bed, the singing had stopped. This is possibly because she had been murdered just feet away. That's terrifying. Yeah. The mutilation on this body was the most extensive of any of the victims of the Ripper. People believe it's because he had more time, because he was in a private room, he wasn't disturbed, but we just don't know. Her breasts were cut off, her arms were mutilated, Her face was cut beyond recognition. Her neck was cut to the bone. Her uterus, kidneys, intestines, liver and spleen had all been removed and placed by different parts of the body. But the medical examiner here, who was doing the post-mortem, believed that the knife used was about six inches long 
and he didn't believe that the murderer had any scientific or anatomical knowledge and would be unable to butcher any animal well. So it could be somebody else. Right? That doesn't sound like the same Right? Thing. It sounds absolutely awful. Yeah, it sounds horrific. But that doesn't seem like the same kind of thing. Right? We'll get there. There was a small fire at Mary's outside grate, like just outside her apartment. So searches were conducted for every one of these murders, but very little turned up. There were over sort of 60 butchers and like like 200 surgeons that were brought in and questioned, but like they all had alibis. Wait, what does the fire have to do with anything? We'll get there. Oh, right. I'll come back. I thought you just dropped that in. <laughs> back at Annie's crime scene, there was a leather apron nearby. So this is like some of the clues that they found. Which is also one of Jack the Ripper's names. If you go on, his Elias's. The apron in question, however, had been cleaned by John Richardson's mother and was being left to dry. He had an alibi for the time of the murder. However, there was also a Jew from the Whitechapel district, known as Leather Apron, who people tried to pin the murders on, because tensions were high and people were anti-Semitic, basically. Leather Apron was John Pizer, and he doesn't seem like the nicest guy, I'm not gonna lie. Apparently he would intimidate sex workers by knife point, and he'd been convicted of assault before. Right. This being said, there was no evidence to link him at all to the Ripper murders, so it probably wasn't him, he was just a scapegoat. He also had an alibi. Also, Annie owned two brass rings, however she wasn't wearing them when her body was found. Police checked every pawnbroker, thinking that the murderer might have pawned them for money after he'd killed her, but to no avail. Side note, if she didn't get rid of them herself, I think the killer probably took them as trophies, right? Probably. Butchers, hairdressers, soldiers, everyone was questioned if they lived near or fit any of the vague descriptions, but still nothing came of it. I guess it's hard, it's frustrating with cases like this because like how do you how do you even know? They could just be lying to you. You have nothing to go off. You have right. no DNA. You have no lie detector test, even though it might not be completely legit, it's better than nothing. Well, I think the good thing with the lie detector test is that people don't want to lie because they're afraid they'll be caught. Yeah, I, I think there are some benefits to that. But I mean, if you're questioning somebody in ninety in eighteen eighty eight or that time period in general, how are you to trust whatever they're saying? Unless they, uh, oh, I have a strong alibi. Okay, cool. We'll dismiss you. There's nothing you can really do. Well, as well, if an alibi relies on someone else, like if you say, oh, I was at home with my mum, mum, tell them, and then the mum's like, yeah, they were at home with me, then the police will be like, sick, they had an alibi. Yeah, but like, you mom. don't know. It could have yeah. been anyone. Exactly. There are also notes that came to news agencies claiming to be from the killer. I don't know if you knew about that. Don't think so. Obviously, no one knows if they're actually legit, because it all happened way before handwriting experts and trained criminal profilers and DNA evidence and whatever. But the second letter, also known as the From Hell letter, contained such a detailed description of the killings that police were basically just like, um, how would anyone else know this? It wasn't us, so it has to be him. The letter was also accompanied by half a human kidney. That's slightly more suspicious. Mm-hmm. That seems like a giveaway, perhaps. <laughs> that seems like possibly it might be from someone who's not friendly. <laughs> However, people at the time weren't sure if it was from the Ripper, as it didn't match the other letters in terms of how literate they were. Obviously, they were aware that it came with half a hi- half a human kidney, but they were like, it could still be a hoax, realistically, because... Where do you just get a half a human kidney yeah, from? Yeah, but it could be from, like, um, sort of medical students or whatever. Just pulling the prize. Perhaps, if it was more than one person, it could have been different people writing the letter. Well, so you know how I said they were different in their literacy? Yes. People think that it could have been an attempt at misdirection. So, like, to make it look like it was fake or, like, look like it was from someone else. Because the killer still acknowledged the K in knife and the H in while. 
which like you wouldn't do if you were illiterate. You would just write knife N I F E. Fair enough. I guess that makes sense. I never really thought about that being an element, but yeah, sure. There were four letters in total. I haven't written all about all of them. <laughs> you don't have them with you? <laughs> no, I don't have the originals here, sorry. You're fired. <laughs> so another possible clue is that above Catherine's body, there was, the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing, written on chalk in the wall. Okay. No one knew if it was related to the murder, or even written by the murderer themselves, because it could have just been graffiti that was there before she was. However, the police commissioner ordered it to be removed before daylight so it didn't spark anti-Semitic riots throughout London. Which seems like he did a good job. Yeah, understandable. This would obviously have been bad, but there were already super high tensions because there was a serial killer on the loose and everyone thought the police were doing just fuck all about it, really. Back in 2014... Mitochondrial DNA was taken from Catherine's shawl that had been kept. Although the segment was common, it matched DNA from a relation of Aaron Kominski. He was a Polish Jew who had emigrated to England in the 1880s. He was sent to an asylum in 1891 because he threatened a woman with a knife. Hmm. <laughs> Seems suspicious. Does he have the other half of the kidney? <laughs> No, not as far as I know. But yeah, or no one knows if it's him. Because he's dead. I guess it could be. If the DNA matches, surely... It could be. However... It could have just been somebody else that touched it. Well, yeah. Or it could just be someone else. Still. But thinking. If the DNA... What do you mean it could be someone else? Well, because it's just a segment of mitochondrial DNA. It's not You're like, the science bitch here. Explain. It's not like finding a whole finger and then being like, yo, whose finger this? And then figuring it out. It's like you're using people that are on record now and then tracing them back to their ancestors. It's like if you have one jigsaw oh, puzzle. Oh, right. I know how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Like you have one jigsaw puzzle and you're trying to find which jigsaw it comes from. And you've got another jigsaw on file and you're like, oh, maybe it fits. You know? Anyway, no one knows if it's him. But I was kind of like, would he really be caught for threatening a woman with a knife if he's murdered five people horrifically? True, yeah. If he's getting away with murders in ten minutes and then leaving so that nobody sees who he is. Yeah. Perhaps he... But maybe he just got big, big for his boots. True, yeah. Anyway. In total, more than a hundred different suspects have been named since the killings ranging from immigrants, painters, surgeons, butchers, and even Queen Victoria's grandson, Prince Albert Victor. Interesting. Yeah. In case you're wondering, he died of the flu, but people think it was actually syphilis, and he was having delusions. <clears throat> Sorry, my voice keeps going today. And he was having delusions when he was killing women because of the disease that he had, so he didn't realise what he was doing. Or whatever. Wow, that would be super interesting. Yeah, but the royals didn't stop him until after he'd killed a few, and then they covered it up, which is why no one knows. And That's why entirely possible. Every lead went nowhere. Yeah. Obviously, it was a horrifically scary time for everyone, but one thing I love about this whole thing happening is that a group of volunteers formed the Whitechapel Vigilance Committee, and they patrolled the streets looking for suspicious people and like making sure nothing bad happened. This was mainly because, as I said, everyone thought the police were crap. But I thought it was really nice that they were standing up for the victims and, like, potential victims. And they even offered their own reward of £50 for information about the Ripper. That's really nice. That's kind of like in our very first episode with Hammersmith, where when they were looking around, everyone just made their own little groups to, like, yeah. keep people safe. Yeah. It's nice. It is. So one note before I ask what you think went on is going back to the last murder Mary's body was much younger than the other girls so like she was half the age of the other women and was far more mutilated and was not murdered on the street but murdered in her own house now a lot of people still count her as part of the canonical five 
because she was a sex worker in Whitechapel was mutilated around the same time. However, I think it's possible she was killed by someone else. Some other people agree and say that she could have been killed by a religious extremist who killed her as a ritualistic sacrifice, which could explain the small fire in the grate of her apartment. This would also explain why her murder was five weeks later than the previous killings, and the previous killings had all happened in the span of one month. I don't think that that was the same person. I don't think that's even connected, because I think it's obvious that whether it's one person or two people forming like a, a group to get revenge or whatever, mm-hmm. there aren't enough similarities. Jack Draper is obviously doing it to a specific type of person, mm. in a specific type of way, cleanly and quickly. I can't imagine why he would bother going into somebody's house to do all of that. Yeah. To someone completely different way afterwards. What would be... Why? It just seems too different. <clears throat> Especially yeah. since she said that it couldn't be someone who was a butcher or a surgeon. Well, it could have been. And they could have been trying to misdirect. You know, if they think that they could misdirect with the letter, then it's probable that they could misdirect. You know, they would know how to make incisions that look like they didn't know what they were doing. Fair enough. Or possibly, uh, I can't remember, I think it was in the TV series Hannibal, where there was a serial killer, right? And I only watched a few episodes. Well, I think I could be entirely wrong. But I think there was a serial killer that was like, going after girls that all looked the same or whatever, or like did the same thing. I can't really remember. But then there was the one that they were actually after, which has happened with quite a few serial killers before, I believe. So it's possible that maybe she was the one and the rest were to like satiate their need, you know? Fair enough. That could be possible, yeah. Which could be why she was so much more mutilated and in her own home and, you know, whatever. Mm. Because they were so obsessed with her. Possibly. You mean they were trying to find out where she lived this whole time and then when they did? No, no, like, not trying to find out where she lived, but just working their way up to killing her. Maybe that one was the crime of passion. And then after that, he just stopped. Yeah. Maybe that's why it ends, though. Maybe, but why would there be such a big gap between the others? Laying low. If you've got all of these, like, vigilance committees and the police and everything out, maybe after five months, everyone will be like, oh, it's fine, he's gone. That could be possible, yeah. I hadn't really thought about that. I'd just written it off in my head, really. I mean, I don't think that the final killing was the work of the Ripper. But it could be. It could be someone just trying to be him. Yeah, it could be a copycat. Someone who had like the same internalized hatred but didn't have... How do I phrase it? Didn't have the balls to do <clears> it <throat> until somebody else did. Yeah, or the skill. Or even the idea. Or like a role model, I guess. Yeah, in a sick way. Yeah. Well, now you know. What do you think? I think it's horrific <laughs> no i mean like do you think it was probably like a surgeon oh yeah i think it might be a butcher really yeah but i don't really have any reason to believe that over the surgeon thing i think maybe because he seems obviously fascinated with the organs and i think if you were operating on people or if you were a doctor you wouldn't have that same kind of interest because you would get to satisfy that while you were at work I'm thinking maybe perhaps he's a butcher and, you know, he works in a slaughterhouse, but he wants to kill a person. Mm. Kind of like with with Dr. Engelman when I said he went hunting because he wanted to kill somebody, but yeah. he hadn't quite realised that he wanted to do that yet. Maybe he became a butcher because he wanted to, to kill, and then he realised killing animals wasn't doing it for him. So he began to kill people. He doesn't like women. Maybe he doesn't like older women because he's divorced or something. And then he's like, oh, I wonder what human organs look like in comparison to animal organs. The only thing that would stump me with it being a butcher or a slaughterhouse worker or whatever is that, sorry about the train, is that they 
whoever was killing these people knew about human anatomy and knew about human organs and stuff because all of them were taken out so carefully that, I mean, surely, I'm no butcher, I don't even eat meat, but surely the way that animal organs are laid out in the body is different to human organs. Like, you could butcher a cow, but that doesn't mean you could do an appendectomy. Possibly, but I imagine they still have, like, the same kind of... I also don't eat meat, so I don't know. The same kind of, I don't know, layout, I guess. Really? But they're on four legs. <laughs> this may sound stupid. This could be another napoleon You could be on Spanish four legs thing. if you just put your arms on the floor. <laughs> so maybe that's just the way that they are. Like, cows have a bunch of stomachs there, don't they? I don't know. This, I don't know. I'm just making myself sound stupid. Yeah. But... <laughs> Maybe maybe they're just skilled. Maybe they're used to taking out like animal organs, though, and they're used to sort of how that is. So it's not that foreign to them when they come to a person. True. Could be. We'll never know. We will. And that's what's the most frustrating about it. I mean, we could. If they find sort of more evidence or, you know, if technology keeps increasing the same way that it has been. Because I don't... I think, like, DNA evidence and stuff was only available in, like, 2000. Oh, could you imagine if they were able to do snapshot DNA on Jack the Ripper? That's what I mean. That would be amazing. They might sort of improve technology and get there with it. We've just got to wait and find out. Perhaps. I love that. I love that crimes like this, like old, horrible crimes that were notable enough to be still popular now, I guess. People are still working on them. Yeah. Or they still go in the back of their head, when I have the technology, I will solve this. Rather than just letting it die. Yeah, it's brilliant. Even though there's nothing you could do, I find it so wonderful. Yeah, but just to get justice. Oh yeah, for sure. And closure. Yeah, because, you know, although sort of this generation won't have known the people that were alive then, I feel like to be like, oh, my great-great-great-grandma was a ripper victim must be horrible. Because you have no one to blame. Well, on that happy note, please leave us a review on iTunes. Yeah. And don't listen before bed. Listen before bed.